0: Today's text is from Acts chapter 8 verses 26 to 40. It can be found on page 917 of the Pubile if you want to follow along or on the screen behind. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, "Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place." And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court, offic- a court official of Candace, But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's begin with a quick word of prayer. Father, as we approach your word, which is a living word, which is fire and power and comfort, may it bathe our souls and may it move us and reprove us and shape us and form us and ultimately send us out in the name of Jesus Christ for his kingdom. We ask this Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. I don't think I've told the story. I'm, I've been at Vine long enough. Where I'm a little bit worried I'm going to start repeating myself soon. But I don't think I've told the story. But when I was in college ministry, there was an Indian uh, student named Adi who uh, grew up in India, moved to America when he was in I think eighth grade or ninth grade, um, and he was a Sikh. Sikhism is a uh, an Indian religion that was birthed around 16th century in northern India. Um, and we began to meet for a semester to read through the Gospel of Mark. And so he, because he grew up in India, had almost no exposure to Christianity beyond what you might see watching like TV shows. So almost no understanding, no background, and he was interested in learning. So we met and we just read through Mark. And we'd read a passage, talk about it. One of the most fascinating experiences to talk to someone who didn't know who the disciples were, I mean, vaguely knew the name Jesus, didn't know what he was about. Such an interesting um, experience and such an encouraging experience. But I remember at one point when we were meeting and again I was just going over the gospel which is you know God sent his son to, to come and bear the sins of the world and die for us that so we might know him and there's forgiveness in his name and, his, and, and like a light bulb went on and he said, oh, this is why Christians tell others about Jesus. And what Adi was getting at is that there's something Intrinsic to the gospel that causes us to want to tell others because Christianity is not first and foremost kind of a philosophy of life or a moral system. So, Sikhism, they had gurus, which would have been kind of Christ like figures who were leaders and they gave a way of living. But that's not primarily what Christianity is. What is Christianity first and foremost? It's news. It's an announcement to the world of what God has done by reconciling the world to himself through his son. There is a movement dynamic to the gospel, it demands to be shared. And Adi saw that. Oh. And this is what we're seeing in our text in Acts. Again, first seven chapters, the Gospels in Jerusalem, but beginning in Acts chapter eight, through the ministry of Philip the Evangelist, he begins to leave and go out and go forth. And we see this movement dynamic in the Gospel itself as it goes all the way to Ethiopia in our text this morning. So our outline for us is, first point, the Holy Spirit calls. Second point, a divinely anointed moment. And the third point, the gospel on the move. So first point, the Holy Spirit calls. To give a quick recap where we are, Philip, one of the seven deacons of the church of Jerusalem, he's also one of the Christian refugees who flees a city as persecution breaks out and it's no longer safe to be a Christian in Jerusalem. He first goes north into the region of Samaria and he shares the gospel with the Samaritans. And God does an incredible work in Samaria. Uh, a place which at one point was given to the teachings of Simon the Magician. It was a place that was influenced by another spiritual power, turns in mass and believes the gospel. And the Spirit descends and the Samaritans become Christians. And this is an ongoing work when our story starts, okay? This, is, this work in Samaria is ongoing. People are receiving Christ. The Spirit is descending. And then in the middle of that, we get this calling of Philip in verse 26 to 27. Again, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Our first question is, who is this angel of the Lord? And it's interesting, there's three different times when God speaks to Philip in this story. The first time it says it's the angel of the Lord. second time it says just the Spirit tells Philip, hey, go talk to Go, go, go near this chariot. And the third time it says, the spirit of the Lord removes Philip. I think all three of these instances are referring to the spirit of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that calls Philip to do this. Why it calls him the angel of the Lord, I don't know. Again, the word angel just literally means messenger and, and, and the Holy Spirit is from Jesus Christ. He's the one who pours out the spirit. But this is the Holy Spirit. But, but what I want us to notice is that this is a fairly unusual Call because of what is going on in Samaria. I mean, here's Philip. He's experiencing fruitful ministry in Samaria. I mean, guys, that's what we all want. Like, we would love to see, you know, tens and hundreds and thousands of people coming to Christ. And when that starts happening, like, you don't leave. I mean, uh, people need more than just to profess Christ, they need to be built up into maturity. You can imagine Philip saying, Why would I leave this? to go to this road leading south out of Jerusalem that runs literally through a desert, through kind of barren hills, that goes to Gaza. Gaza is the last human outpost before you get to the desert that separates Egypt from Palestine. It's the middle of nowhere. Imagine Philip saying, no, I'm being useful in Samaria. God is at work there. Why would he send me to the middle of nowhere? In the middle of the work. Sometimes God calls us to do stuff that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And let me be careful how I say that. It may seem like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because God is a God of reason. He is the Logos. Logic and reason exist because God himself is reasonable. But time, at times the Holy Spirit may call us to do something that doesn't make sense because we don't see the whole picture All of us, we have one little sliver of time that we exist in, one little space of the world we exist in, Philip could not have known that there was a man whom God had been working in his life for years, who was gonna be passing on that road, who was gonna then take the gospel to Ethiopia, a land that had never known it before. Philip could not have known that when God gave him this call But the important thing, again, is verse 27. So he rose and he went. The Holy Spirit calls Philip to do something that didn't seem like a whole lot of sense. Seemed to be leaving where God was at work. But Philip obeys. He follows the voice of the Spirit. And I think a clear application from this text for us this morning is that Philip gives us an example of faithfulness to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The story of Acts is amazing. I mean, this is, you know, we almost don't need this to be preached. We could just read it, and it's exciting. People are coming to Christ, people are being healed. The gospel is just dropping like an atom bomb everywhere it goes. But all of it is powerful because God is the one orchestrating it. Sure, the apostles are incredible men. They're incredible men and women in the early church, full of faith and courage, But everything is happening because God is orchestrating all this. Historically, the book of Acts has been called the Acts of the Apostles, which makes sense. It's about the apostles, the starting of the church. Some commentators say it should really be called the Acts of Jesus Christ through his spirit. Because Jesus has ascended into heaven, and then Acts is him continuing to work in his spirit. He's orchestrated everything in this story we're about to read. Philip's clearly a powerful and courageous evangelist, but he does nothing except simply listen to the voice of the Spirit and be present and faithful to the opportunity God brings to him. God is the one who is at work, and he calls us to simply just be faithful to the opportunities he brings into our lives by his Spirit. We don't bear the weight of the advancement of the kingdom of God, that's not a burden we carry. We don't advance the kingdom. That's what Jesus Christ does. All we're called to do is be faithful with the opportunities that he brings into our lives. But that doesn't mean that we're sitting around passively. Okay, God, when are you going to bring an opportunity? How do we know when the Spirit is directing us? How do we hear the voice of the Spirit? Well, it's through prayer. When we pray, that is how we access the spirit of Jesus Christ. That is how the spirit comes to be central to what we're doing, so that then he can send us out. Now, now, some of us may be a little uncomfortable, be like Mike, you're sounding like a Pentecostal here, talking about the Holy Spirit and following his voice and doing what he says. We're Bible people. There is no contradiction between following the voice of the Spirit and submitting ourselves completely to the trustworthy word of Scripture. The two go together, hand in glove. The Bible could not have told Philip, go to this road going south to Gaza. It do- you can search. If you had a PDF version of the Bible, you could search those words. They will not show up in the Scriptures. The Spirit had to tell Philip, go to this road, and Philip had to be listening what the scripture did tell Philip was what to say when he got there. It gave him, the, the scripture gives the content of the gospel that we share, but the spirit is one who directs us. And again, when we read Acts 2, 42 to 47, it's describing that early church as ones who are devoting themselves to prayer. That's not like, a, oh, that's a one-time thing. That's describing the church. Philip is one who would have been devoting himself to prayer, so that when the spirit came and spoke to him, he was listening. He could hear the voice of the spirit As Paul Miller writes, he's a Presbyterian minister, he makes a very interesting observation. He says, Paul never mentions the quote unquote gift of of prayer, end quote. Why? Because there's no gift of breathing. And Paul sometimes mentions the gifts of the spirit, preaching, teaching, mercy, administration, even evangelism is a gift, which is why all of us are like, well that's not my gift. Never says that about prayer. Because prayer is our breath as Christians. It's how we access the spirit of Jesus that we might walk in his ways. How can we be a church that makes prayer the heartbeat of everything we do? And what a coincidence we have a prayer meeting tonight. I never time it like this. It's just, you know, God is provident. If you're not in the habit of coming to our prayer meetings, you know, don't, don't feel guilty. That's not my goal. But Come. Perhaps the Lord Jesus Christ himself is beckoning you to come and experience his presence, to engage in the work that he is doing. But as Philip listens to the Spirit, as he's faithful to the opportunities that the Spirit brings along, he steps into what can only be called a divinely anointed moment. And This brings us to our second point, a divinely anointed moment. Follow along as I read verses 27 to 35. And he rose from Gaza and went i'm sorry and he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch a court official of Candace queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet isaiah and the spirit said to philip go over and join this chariot so philip ran to him and heard him reading isaiah the prophet And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. So Philip meets, we're introduced to an Ethiopian, This man would have been not from what is modern day Ethiopia, but from the ancient kingdom of Cush. If you read the Old Testament, it's a reference at times, the kingdom of Cush. It's actually the people group that's right below Egypt and with modern day Sudan, very ancient kingdom. And it says he was a eunuch. Uh, Would have been fairly common for court officials to be eunuchs. But he was the treasurer of the queen herself. He was an important man. Had a lot of responsibility, but very influential. And what's important is it tells us that he's returning from Jerusalem not having gone there on a kind of royal trip, but he'd gone there to worship. And not only that, but he owns a scroll of Isaiah back in the day when the vast majority of people did not own books or scrolls. And the idea is he's very likely a a, a Jewish proselyte, which would have been a a convert to Judaism. And he'd gone to Jerusalem probably for one of the religious festivals um, that Jews would oftentimes go to the city for. And he's on his way back. And again, when you read the story, we just see God's fingerprints all over it. We see his provision and his work all over the story. Okay, first, when he tells Philip, go up to the chariot, like what if the eunuch had been sleeping? You know, I mean, the trip from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, I don't know how long would it would have take in weeks? You're in a chariot? It's not like there's movies to watch. What do you do? What if you've been sleeping? And then, you know, what, what would Philip have done? But no, he's not, he's not sleeping, he's reading. And at the time, they would read out loud, this is interesting, when so few people read, I mean like less than 1% of the population was literate, when you learn how to read, you learn how to read out loud. It helps with remembering what you're reading, but also I think part of it is because if you're one of those few special who can read, well then you're gonna read for the benefit of everyone who can hear. So he's reading out loud. And Philip's running along, and, and of all the things he's reading, he's reading the Bible. He wasn't reading, like, you know, I don't know, some ancient pagan whatever, Cicero. He's reading the Bible. And then of all the places in the Bible, he's reading Isaiah 53, which is, like, in the Old Testament, one of the most obvious passages about Jesus. Again, imagine if you ran up, and he was reading from, like, one of the genealogies in, in Deuteronomy. It's like, so and so begat so and so and lived 50 years and died, and so and so begat so and so. It's like, how do you bridge, you know, from that point to the gospel? Like, well, everyone dies. Am I right? Do you know where you're going when you die? God's fingerprints are all over this. All Philip has to do is show up. Do you understand what you're reading? This is a little bit speculative, but I think we're told that he's an Ethiopian eunuch for a reason, and it fills in, again, God has been working in this man's life for probably years. He's a Jewish convert, he's gone to Jerusalem to worship, now he's also a eunuch, which according to Old Testament law meant that he was unclean, and there were parts of temple worship he would have been prohibited from. So that means he would have had limited access to the temple, limited access to the rabbis and the Pharisees and the scribes, people who could teach him about Yahweh, this God he worships. Not only that, he's Ethiopian, which means he was black. And just like today, we tend to be afraid of people who look different than us. So it's very likely that he went, not only was he a eunuch, but he was also probably somewhat ostracized for the color of his skin. And so he spent a week in Jerusalem. He wants to know this God, He wants to worship Yahweh, but no one will tell him about Yahweh. I think that's the whole point of the question when Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I, unless someone guides me? He spent how long in like the center of Judaism, but no one will tell him? What does this mean? No one will teach him. Again, God has been preparing the Ethiopian for this moment, for years. And when Philip comes running up next to his chariot and asks him that question, it says the Ethiopian invites him into the chariot. That's not the best translation. It's really that he he begs, he begs Philip. Uh, In Luke eight, there's a story of Jairus, the synagogue ruler whose daughter is dying, and Jairus comes to Jesus, and he invites him to come and heal his daughter. It's the same word. He begged Jesus, heal my daughter. The Ethiopian begs Philip, if you know what this means, tell me who this is about. Tell me, please. Again, we're not reading the evangelistic brilliance of Philip. We're reading about the sovereign work of God who had been preparing the Ethiopian for years, for this moment, and all Philip did was show up and be faithful to what God had been preparing. Uh, Jesus tells us in the Gospels that the harvest is plentiful. Now there are many who have absolutely no interest in God or Jesus Christ, but Jesus states without qualification that the harvest is plentiful, that there are men and women like this Ethiopian who are crying out to know who God is. Is there someone in your neighborhood where you live or who works with you or who's even in your own family, who is like this Ethiopian, who's crying out to know who Christ is, who God is. Let me ask this question differently. What if you could know for certain that there is someone in your neighborhood who is crying out to know who God was, that there's someone at your workplace who's desperately wanted to know? What if you could know that? How would it change how you live? Wouldn't you start to pray and ask the Spirit to help you find that person? Wouldn't you start like like looking and like being intentional with who you talk to and the questions you ask? You, you know, Philip, again, he would never have known that the Ethiopian was crying out to know God unless he'd gone up and engaged with him. And in my experience, you can find out pretty quickly whether someone has any interest in talking about God. And again, our, our job is not to take people who have no interest in God and make them interested in God. That's not... Our job is simply to be faithful to where the Spirit is actually working. Is there someone whom God has been working in their lives for years and God has a divine, divinely anointed moment for you this week? Is there someone that you're going to run into this week whom God's been preparing if you will just be listening to the Spirit and if so, are you ready for that moment? When I lived in Washington, D.C., I worked at a, a nonprofit. It was a secular nonprofit. Most of my coworkers were non Christians. I only had one Christian coworker who introduced me to my wife. Appreciate her. But everyone else, I mean, you know, it was a normal secular workplace. And they had a lunchroom there. And I was eating lunch there one day. And I was reading a book by Kevin DeYoung called The Good News We Almost Forgot. Just kind of like a meditation on some old catechisms, like the Heidelberg Catechism. So I'm reading it. A coworker comes up to me um, who I didn't know very well, but I knew he wasn't a Christian. And he's just a, real, he's just a real friendly guy, like to talk about ideas. And he sees me reading. He's like, Oh, what are you reading? And I wasn't ready. I'll be frank with you, at that season of my life, I hadn't shared the gospel with someone in years. And it's ironic because. I, I didn't go straight to seminary after undergrad because I wanted to work in a I wanted to work in a workplace so I could share the gospel with people. So then I could tell, like my church, how to do that. <laughs> and I wasn't doing it. And so when he asked me that question, I just I was so uncomfortable. I'll be honest. I was just was I was flustered, and I was like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable with this. I kind of hemmed and hawed, and I I think I said something about like the Reformation and catechisms. And he kind of like, I think he could tell I was pretty uncomfortable and was like, okay, okay, cool, thanks, see ya. I wasn't ready. I never had that opportunity again. I don't know where that man is now. Are you ready? You know, one of the benefits I've found in going on regular neighborhood walks is that the only way to get better at sharing the gospel, the only way to make it more natural, is just to do it more. And so if you're anything like me, where evangelism is not your gift, all that means is you've got to do it more. <laughs> Are you ready for this week? The Spirit may bring you across someone who's crying out for God. Are you praying? Are you awake? It's exciting to think where the Spirit could take you this week. What adventures He could lead you on. What kind of eternal fruit He could bring. But again, the second point, a divinely anointed moment. First point the Holy Spirit calls, second point, a divinely anointed moment. Now we move on to the third point, the gospel on the move. Follow along there the read verses thirty-six to forty. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So again, the, the Ethiopian, he, I mean, again, God's fingerprints are all over this story. He hears the gospel, he responds immediately, it would seem. It's such an obvious and true and deep conversion that Philip is willing to baptize him, the brother in Christ. And then here's what's important for us, is that the Ethiopian, once he's professed Jesus and been baptized, he doesn't then go back to Jerusalem where the apostles are. Instead, it says he goes on his way rejoicing. In other words, he goes back to his home rejoicing. Again, what we're seeing in all of Acts 8 is that the gospel is leaving Jerusalem and it's going to the ends of the earth. The gospel is on the move. The title of our Acts series is from Jerusalem to Acts, the gospel on the move. And again, there, there's an inherent movement dynamic to the gospel because it is news. It is an announcement. What do you do with an announcement? You, you tell people The announcement. And so there's something built into the gospel that it must move. And if it's not moving, it stagnates. Uh, think about it like this. So Marco found this old video a couple weeks ago of when she first told me that she was pregnant with Caleb, our oldest. And so she like, hid the phone. This is, don't ever do this. This is not cool, okay? Like, there's laws against this, okay? She like, hid the phone in our kitchen so she could film my reaction when she told me. And it was like nighttime, which is not my best time. I wish I could say this was a long time ago, but it was only six years ago. And uh, and I come home and um and she's like had like it, she had this box that she'd like wrapped up and like it was the news was in there that hey, I'm pregnant. And she was like, hey Mike, and I'm like, hi. She's like, go look in that box. And I'm like, why? She's like, no, go look in it. Why? And I'm just I'm being I'm being a, just being a turd, just be honest. And, uh, and finally, I, I, I see it, and, and then immediately I change. I'm so excited about the news that she's pregnant. So excited. Woke up the next morning, we're still so excited. Uh, imagine that Morica woke up every morning and turned to me and said, Mike, I'm pregnant. I'm guessing probably for the nine months, it still remained remain pretty exciting. But imagine 10 years on, she's waking up every morning and saying, Mike, nine years ago, I was pregnant and we don't tell anyone else. It's like after a while, it's like, thank you, Marco. I know, I know. This is not the perfect analogy, but that's similar to the Gospel, and the gospel is also an announcement. And it's the most powerful, life-giving announcement there is that God loved us enough to come to us and take our sin upon himself, so we could have eternal life. But if we just sit around telling that to each other, After a while, it's going to be like, yeah, I know. I know. And when we become bored of the gospel, we've got to find something else to pique our interest. And I think that's where you get all kinds of unhealth in the church. People who give themselves to theological controversies or political controversies or... Who just run after the latest Christian fad, the newest thing? I mean, there's a reason why church plants grow fast, mainly by attracting disillusioned Christians. Because it's like, hey, something new. You're bored of the gospel. Here's something new, flashy, it's fun, exciting, it's sexy. The good news of the gospel is news, it must be shared. And when churches and Christians turn inward, content to pursue a kind of personal holiness or self help Jesus, then the gospel withers. Withers in our midst, and this process of turning inward is the natural process for every church. It doesn't matter if the church started out of an outpouring of the Spirit and out of hundreds professing faith and was deeply evangelistic, unless church, unless we are fighting to remain a missionary community, we're going to move inward. That can happen with a church of 500. That can happen with a church of 50. Numbers are meaningless in this regard. And so what do we do when our faith has grown inward, when the gospel fails to move us because, frankly, we're just not sharing it with anybody? What do we do in that situation? Well, again, we pray. This is, you know, I feel like I'm a one-hit wonder here. Let's Pray. It's just God's pressed on my heart the last six to 12 months, like this is what we do. We, we seek God's face that He might renew us and pour out His spirit. and the reason why I'm so excited to pray together is because I believe when we pray that prayer, God renew us, it's a prayer we can pray with hope, knowing that God will in fact move mountains. Why? Because the gospel is actually moving. Jesus is not dependent on this group to to, to make his, like, it's not like we pray to make the gospel move or we pray to advance the kingdom. The gospel's moving and extending and advancing all throughout the world. Jesus Christ is at work by his spirit in this neighborhood, in your neighborhood. We pray to, so that we might keep up with the movement of the spirit. We pray this so that we don't miss out on what Jesus is doing. So again, we find ourselves, we've grown inward. What do we do? We cry out to God together. We pray to him because the gospel has always been and always will be the power of salvation for anyone who believes. The spirit is the one who brings about resurrection. He's the one that brings about new life. He's the one who brings about renewal. He does it. What are we? We're we're clay pots, according to scriptures. We're, We're clay pots. They're cheap. They're easily broken. Chips paint probably have some cracks, leaking water. Right? But if we're going to be clay pots, like be Jesus' clay pot. right? If we're going to be like weak and broken instruments, be Jesus' weak and broken instrument. And we do that through prayer, by being open to the movement of the Spirit, by looking for these movements and praying for Christ's kingdom to come, and then being ready for those divinely anointed moments. When God uses people like you and me, broken and and weak and imperfect instruments to speak words of life into, into a seeking soul. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you give us Lord, show us even what to pray for. we ask first and foremost that you'll pour out your spirit that we might be full of you. That every day we'll wake up and we'll be renewed in the spirit of Jesus Christ. We pray that as we go throughout our weeks, all of us whom you've, you've already established our footsteps before us, you know what's going to happen. Lord, may you put in our place divinely anointed moments when you might use people like us to share the good news we've been given. And oh, may we be awake. May we have courage because we confess we're oftentimes so scared. We forget, we go distracted, we go discouraged. Please, Spirit, you must fill us. For we want to follow our Lord. We want to walk with him. Please make us a people that do so. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.